and welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners, as well as our very own podcast, which can be found at greenmajority.ca, along with uh, additional notes, supplementary information, uh, and the proper stelling of Hostetter. Yes. Being a Hostetter, we have both Dave and Stefan uh, in the studio. Uh, Dave is going to be leading us in news in a minute. Stefan, I didn't know if you wanted had anything else you wanted to prime first. No, I think we're just, uh, well, uh, I guess the... Yeah, but so in uh, in a minute after the news, I will be talking to our, our occasional but increasingly semi-frequent uh, contributor, Matthew Klippenstein, uh, who's from uh, who's reporting out from the West Coast. Uh, he is a uh, multifaceted journalist on, on uh, many issues, but primarily focuses on the EV electric vehicle market. And we'll, we like to check in with him about two, two to three times a year to see how that's going. Uh, so we'll be talking to Matthew about that. And of course, uh, and this was uh, before we actually booked the interview, but there's been some hilarious stuff happening with Elon Musk, you may have been uh, aware. And basically, because of that, since we booked the interview, we'll probably be talking about that a lot. So uh, <laughs> some some not so friendly, playful swipes at uh, Elon Musk coming up after Dave takes it over here with some headlines. So the Guardian is reporting that the United Kingdom's demand for avocados increased by 27% in 2017 alone putting even more pressure on the water-starved Chilean province of Petorca, as growers in the province have been accused of illegally diverting river water towards their crops, leaving locals without water. 67% of avocados consumed in the UK are sourced in the same region as Petorca, and British food retailers claim to be working with suppliers to investigate the problem. It is known that many avocado plantations are building illegal pipes and wells to divert the water, and villagers are citing this as the cause of a regional drought, forcing residents to use contaminated, contaminated water delivered in trucks, causing illness and sanitation problems as big agribusinesses increase their profits. The water delivered by truck has been found to contain feces bacteria much higher than the legal limit, causing local activist Veronica Vilches to remark, in order to send good avocados to Europeans, we end up drinking water, and I paraphrase, with feces in it. Some of these businesses have already been convicted of improper water use after a 2011 Chilean water study showed at least 65 illegal underground channels diverting river water to avocado plantations. It usually takes 2,000 liters of water to produce one kilogram of avocados, but it takes even more in the dry region of Petorca, which is lush with green crops in what would otherwise be dry and rugged mountain terrain. <clears throat> Veronica Vilches told The Guardian, quote, For years, avocado plantations have used up all the water that should be used for everything else, and now the rivers have dried up just like the aquifers. Smaller local farmers are now unable to cultivate their land or raise animals, causing many residents to move to the city or work in the mines in the north. Activists in the area have received death threats and have lost jobs in response to their concern over illegal water extraction. Instead of or including intimidation, some agribusinesses build churches and community centers in poor areas to earn people's support and then threaten to take these away when people complain about lack of water. Thanks, Dave. So this is one of those examples of, uh, I, said, I said it right before the show, actually, which is like the world is more complicated than we want it to be mm -hmm. uh, in, in, for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first is that the first thing I want to highlight is that when we think about water and and you know, being a good water keeper and, and, and really caring about sort of water issues, 
it is so often framed as, uh, oh, make sure you take short showers or make sure you don't do any of these other things. And which in reality, that is sure one one part of it. Like, yes, we shouldn't just be wasting water randomly in the places that we're, especially here in a place like Toronto, which you know is sitting on a lake. So our water issues are somewhat different. But the reality of, of how water scarcity works within the global sphere is much, much more complicated than that. You know, you're not necessarily just doing all the right thing by just having, uh, by just taking shorter showers. Uh, if you're if you're then not really paying attention to where your food and fruit especially is coming from, you know, uh, this is one of the things that, that that I've been sort of harping on for a while. But the 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 important thing to note here is how much water scarcity is caused by agriculture and how often and when you think about how uh, water is being exported out of countries it is most commonly in the form of food <laughs> you know it, it, the, you know that is what's caught that that is sort of some of the problem that even something like california which is a relatively affluent place of course is having is that they're exporting so much water uh and and this is a similar sort of scenario no i just, I just want to i want to pause and highlight that because you sort of went past something uh, quite quickly there that i think maybe is uh, the Deserves more attention because I think it's something a lot of people don't think about. Mm. It's not hard to understand, but it's a thing you wouldn't sort of, I don't think you'd come across, which is the idea that, you know, if you think of a tomato, I don't know, Google it. Someone will have the right number there. It's 84% or whatever. It doesn't matter, but it's like, it's mostly water, right? So if we're export, if we're using local water, growing tomatoes, and then exporting all the tomatoes, you are literally exporting water. So when we're looking at those numbers from like Nestle and stuff about, you know, 80, 800 million liters pulled out and sold elsewhere, all of the, all of that fruit and vegetables and everything else that has water in it should be added to that total in reality. Yeah. One and two, really quickly, just uh, again, same thing, but a different point you made uh, was that when we're talking about water scarcity, it doesn't always mean there's no water. It sometimes mm. mean, could mean there's a lot of water, you just can't drink it. So for instance, you said on t uh, Toronto, we're sitting on a lake, great. But if the uh, water uh, you know, purification system went down and everyone in Toronto, the three and a half or whatever million residents started drinking out of the lake, a lot of people would die. That water's not drinkable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it depends where you take it, obviously, that w whatever. But if you start drinking right out of the harbor, you're not going to be, you're, you're not going to last very long. Yeah. You, yeah. You, so you certainly need a potable water. Yeah. I just wanted to highlight those two nuances because I think they're easily missed. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's, that's a part of this, this, this larger conversation and part of this larger conversation about how to be, you know, ethically living within today's society uh, is, is I think it can be easy to sort of just be like, okay, I, like the, I think we often default to the most obvious uh, things like, okay, I want to, I want, you know, I want to make sure I eat, I want to reduce meat consumption, which again, good. That is that is positive. Uh, however, um, you know, then you then you read an article about how you know rising prices of quinoa are are putting out a ton of people in other places. Like I think there's a this is when the when the concept of uh, food security and 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 sort of more local food comes up. Often the conversation does not actually focus on where you're actually helping, which is if, we, if it, it, something about local food that is positive is that it keeps water within the same water table, right? It's keeping water with or within the closer area, geographical area. And so you aren't ex sort of ex experiencing this sort of thing where you have, we have nations sort of exporting so much water and really never getting it back. Like unless we send, you know, we're not exporting things that have our water in back into these places. And so we really are just extracting water from these countries. Right. And, it, and it's, it, so much of it simply has to do, and that's why I thought it worthwhile to, to interrupt you and again, to do it now, <laughs> um, to pause on that point, which is that, you know, if and it's just a matter of how it happens. That, that affects how people feel about it, right? So we could even say that. People go, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. But it's not going to like have this huge impact on their day. Right. That, that, oh, I hadn't thought of the fact that there's a lot of water and vegetables. But if Saudi Arabia put a big tube, a big pipeline, you might say, in Lake Ontario, 
visible that everyone in the city and it went up and over the city <laughs> and went all the way to Saudi Arabia and they were just piping the water out of the lake directly. The exact same thing is happening, but people would lose their minds. Yeah. But it's literally identical. Yeah. Minus the infrastructure right. to what is happening. But yeah, but there, there's certainly a, yeah, it's, it's certainly... Just Saudi Arabia was random. Don't right, right, yeah, exactly. Example. Yeah. I just yeah. picked a country. It, if it's going to be the States. Let's be real here. They're already <laughs> figuring that out. Um, but it was the same thing you know, even with, 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 other, with water, other water companies. The commodification of water has already happened just inside stuff. Uh, and one last note just before we go back to the next next story. Uh, if the way the intimidation tactics sound familiar, uh, that's because it's very this this type of thing is very similar to to the way you see uh, these these large industries interact when they have sort of mining and other sort of interests. Um, and and I think that's important to note just from the standpoint of you know it's not that. There, there, there's a lot of these types of things where if there's a, if there's money to be made and you can go somewhere where people won't pay enough so much attention, uh, you need to you need to know that this is what will probably be a part of it. And and so, you know, try to buy your avocados from places that are that are a little better and or hold your hold your hold your fruit bearing uh, companies to a, to a higher standard. Uh, and we really have to start figuring out how to how to really address this water uh, the water crisis that's sort of slowly expanding on the world. And finally, yes, it's fruit. Yes, Next. Dave. <laughs> So, <clears throat> investors for oil giant Royal Dutch Shell have raised concerns over the company's commitment to climate change mitigation. This comes as the company rejected a new resolution to get in line with the Paris Agreement, which was supported by some of Shell's most powerful shareholders. Shell chief executive Ben Van Buren was accused of misleading shareholders when he defended his company's target of current target of cutting its carbon footprint in half by 2050 and its ambition to keep world temperatures from rising above 2 degrees Celsius. It is the third year in a row that campaign group Follow This has brought a climate resolution to Shell's annual general meeting. Follow This did influence Shell to make its initial and current resolutions, but the group believes they have not gone far enough. A growing group of pension funds have supported the Follow This campaign, and proxy advisory firm Institutional Shareholder Services has said that a 3 million euro raise received by Van, by Van Buren was unwarranted due to Shell's poor performance on sustainable development targets. So the investors are right. Um, uh, you know, the, the chief executive is, is almost certainly uh, misleading investors. Um, you know, the, the, from the standpoint of uh, of whether or not, th like, isn't cutting its carbon footprint isn't the point. This is this is perhaps the most. This is perhaps the, the biggest thing here is that Shell is almost Shell is not like what Shell produces in terms of uh, carbon footprint does not include what happens when you burn their product. So they're not saying here that they're actually going to reduce the amount of emissions that is that that exists because of anything they do. It's their own internal emissions, right? It's only down. It's all. It's not. It's only upstream. It's not downstream emissions. Meaning that any emissions that come from the actual pumping of oil um, will will continue. And as we've seen in previous versions of their, I haven't looked at this year's uh, forecast for Shell, but I know in a couple of years ago they released a, they released the forecast which had these them pumping the same amount, if not more, oil in 2050 as they do now. Which, if you look at climate targets, is fundamentally impossible to match that with uh, uh, with accepting climate change. It's just you're you're literally just saying it's okay. We're going to burn the planet. 
Maybe maybe they assumed that that they could they they you know they were obviously the only ones emitting carbon in 2050, and so maybe ah, like, the number go. they're using was the complete and absolute total of all carbon emissions. Right, all humanity um, has stopped using carbon except right. for Shell. And if you make some assumptions like they do in you know Republican bubble, uh, budgets like to do, they just make a bunch of assumptions about money they're going to get elsewhere. Be like, okay, well, we're going to pump this out. No one, literally zero other people on the planet will be making carbon. And by that point, you know, we can just assume in our math that someone has turned carbon into a, a resource thing, which is not impossible. Right. Uh, therefore, if so facto, uh, bingo, bango, we're rich. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And that's, hey. That, like, hey. <laughs> and that's, that, that's the thing here, right? Is that this is literally like, like, if I was an investor in Shell, I would be terrified. You know, if I was if I was investing in in these big oil companies right now, I would be deeply concerned. Yeah. Uh, I guess the only thing I have to say about this is just to remember that these people are the people who are doing this activism are people who actually do want Shell to make money. Mm. Well, so, so but that the, for me is the most is the important part. Fair enough, but the, yeah, exactly. But there are people, especially the pension funds. They're the pension funds who are currently trying to think like you know they're heavily invested in these oil companies, and and they're being they're receiving pressure from their people, right? So mm -hmm. if you can pressure your pension funds, it's the pension funds who are helping pr pressure this, right? So these things are all sort of connected. So continue pressuring your pension funds, everyone. Uh, but it, all I was saying was that it wasn't like a bunch of activists went and bought ten dollars worth of shell stock. No, right? And yeah, yeah. Went and did this. A. So it's not people that entered into this meeting or entered this organization like. To do this, these were existing shareholders that formed an alliance, essentially, and, and yada, yada, yada. Uh, we, you know, if we want to get deeper into that, maybe we can get an interview. I don't want to speculate. It's not something I'm an expert on. But these were, you know, these are people, and they're also not people who are just trying to punish Shell because then they could just divest and make a big stink about how they divested, right? Well, so their point is, we we want you to help yourself because we want you to make money so we make money. Stop punching yourself in the face. Well, that, That's yeah, what these people are saying. Well, yeah, like these are these are people who are actively invested in this company and and don't want to lose their money, right? right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's it's... But as it, a, just to, to understand that that is their primary motive here is that right, they, this isn't they're like not trying to punish Shell. It's not like a trick. Hmm. These are people who want them to be profitable, just are being more realistic about what that looks like. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not like someone about one stock and is now sort of just protesting every time. This right, is right. this is a, especially the pension funds, right? These are massive pension funds. These are not activists. This is, mm -hmm. these are, you know, bureaucrats. Yeah. Uh, luckily, the you know, bureaucrats understand how systems work and climate change is part of the system. Dave, next story. So in the city of Tutukudi, India, Environmental activists were fired upon by police as they protested the expansion of a copper smelter. The police killed 12 people. The smelter released gas in 2013 that caused breathing, nausea, and throat problems in local residents. The protest included the torching of cars and a local administrator's office. The government has now decided to close the smelter in the wake of the police killings. Yeah, so this is a, obviously there's, it's an ongoing uh, theme of the show which we've been talking about some of the different uh, impacts and and true dangers that come along with being an environmental activist and and again this is one of those examples really of of, of, of how important you know environmental justice lens is on these issues right and this is not these people who are living in um, uh, this is not a, a affluent area of India that is that is this, that happens to be rising up against a smelter that got put there. Like you're, you're not putting a smelter in the middle of a middle of an of an overtly affluent area. You're putting it in a place where people aren't able, or, or you presume aren't able enough to organize, uh, and and then you're ch you know clamping down when they do basically, uh, and and so the the fact that, like, like killing twelve people that's that's a serious that's a like that is a serious like. Can you imagine the idea of? It's also not an accident. No, of course not. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's you know that like that is, that is a serious, serious um, uh, 
attempt at stopping people from doing this, right? This is like this is an over like a you're talking about a mild overstep. This is a massive overstep of uh, of any of any authority you might have. And in a in a it's it's not an abuse of power. It's 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 a it's targeted killing. It's it, right exactly. They're, they're executions. They're extrajudicial executions. Even if they were committed by police officers, they're outside the law to execute people. So they're yeah. just murders. Mm-hmm. What's odd about this story though is that the environmentalists were originally pro- they wanted the smelter to be closed down, mm-hmm. and they were protesting the exp- the doubling of the capacity of the smelter, and then the police went in and killed the people, and then the, the government decided to capitulate to the environmentalists. Right. Uh, demands. It, it's as yeah. It's as if you had to first, you know, like let every like. It's almost sort of like sending. A, you know, it, 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 the, the the scarier part of this concept is this is sending a message to say like you know we that that we will kill you. You know that, that that's 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 the most that's yeah so that, that's the most overstep. You know the, the state has a has a monopoly of authority whether or not you agree to it or not. That's generally monopoly to violence. Sorry, mm. um, whether you agree to that that concept or not. But that is like generally what the societies we live in are accepting. Um, and and this is an overstep statement of that. But it's to the extent still like you know this doesn't say these five police murdered twelve people. It is that the police as a state killed 12 protesters and so it's still very much very much clearly state violence on environmentalists which which if it which should be considered in the same capacity as as any other version uh, like uh, of of sort of the same type of clamping down you might see in other countries on other issues um and and the fact that uh that 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 this is becoming a bit of a hot spot is important to note that you know people are not accepting this um and and that you have to do you know like these, the, 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 the people don't get up and, and uh, on any given day and, and say, you know what? Well, I'm just going to go out and protest. You, you, you've you've been it's been twenty since 2013. People have been in the, in this in this in this province have been having this issue, and and it escalated to this extent, which is a you know a fundamental failure on the government's part, obviously, um, and just another example of the of the real dangers that that, that being a land protector comes with. Right? Mm-hmm. This is like this is the this is part of the. It's not part of the job. It should definitely be part of the job, but it's 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 something that that you ha- that must be understood about how much people care about these issues and how important it is to protect this kind of land. Yeah, and just, I you know, I said before the show, I had, you know, the, the most to say about this. It's, I can say it shortly, but mm-hmm. I, it's a p- point that I is a broken record for me a bit, but I think it's important to be a broken record on, which is that you know when we whenever we talk about stories that are far away, of course, you know, if you're an international listener, remind you we're recording this in Toronto, Canada, mm-hmm. so for us, very far away is India, and I think people have this you know, idea um, that you know that sort of thing can't happen here. The same reaction we've talked about before, even though it's off topic about like school shootings and stuff. Like, oh, well, that's in the US or that's over there. But uh, you know, these are functions of simply poverty. When people have so little ability to fight back um, and there's such a distribution of wealth such that other people do have a lot of power, it's basically inevitable. There's all basically any uh, any country with extreme poverty, including supposedly first world countries with extreme in areas of extreme poverty, uh, poverty, people with power abuse it. And when that goes on long enough or is extensive enough, people die. And that's it has nothing to do with India. It's not because India is like some broken, messed up country. It's just there's extreme poverty in that area. And it and people happen and this happens in any country. And so what I wanted to, to bring this back to not was just to make that general point, but was to bring it back to the US and to say that this could this is not impossible that the that a climate that would allow this sort of thing to exist in Canada. I'm not saying tomorrow, but it's not impossible just because we're Canada. And my evidence of that is a baby step, which was, you know, even it was a few years ago now that we commented on how um, having to do with the Dakota uh, access pipeline 
there was, in addition to a bunch of, bunch of other things, there was a law that was changed, or uh, that was put forward, and I believe it was approved, uh, but I, uh, don't quote me on that, because I'm not actually certain what happened to the law, but I, it looked like it was very likely to go ahead the last time I heard about it, uh, was essentially saying that it was legal. You could not be charged uh, if you ran over a protester if they're standing in a public street, and it specifically had language that said that you don't even need to try to avoid them. If they're in the street, you can do whatever you want to them, and this? you cannot be charged. Um, this was uh, uh, this would have been in the last year, um, and this was done cynically by Republicans who were trying to protect the oil companies. So, mm. you know, I'm just I'm just saying, like, just I'm just I just don't want people to have this like fuzzy thing in their head where they think this is a thing that happens other places. It happens other places and not here because we don't let it happen here, and that could change. So just don't don't live in a, in a fantasy that this is not a thing that that is a that is a danger. But, but again, I, and I think the again, I'm not saying tomorrow. I'm just right. saying like let's not pretend it's impossible. Well, well, I think the I think the important point is that that protest is the is the last this is the last like getting onto the streets is the last way to get your voice heard, right? There's like this is the it's the it's not the first thing people go to. It's after you go through all of the other ways of trying to do something, you end up on the streets because that's the last way to sort of force things. I think what you're referring to were were, were laws that were had to do with after actually after. Uh, there was a sort of a, a variety of laws that have sort of been put in place uh, due to, yeah, yeah, due to, from a standpoint of actually um, trying to actually stop people from getting blocked in different capacities. I think it was during a combination of the Black Lives Matter protests and then also Charlottesville. Um, Charlottesville, I think, actually was, was sort of highlighted how terrible these laws were because that woman was actually killed by a car driving through it. Um, and, and so I think it's like there's a variety. Of, I, don't think, I'm not, I don't think any of them were passed, which is good. Um, but uh, let's go to the music break. Uh, we'll come back with answers on this question, uh, exactly where that came from. Uh, not right after the break, because after the break is Matthew Klumstein, but uh, in the third section of the show, we'll come back to that. Uh, what kind of music we got right now? Right, and we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Uh, we are now going to speak to Matthew Klippenstein, our EV uh, uh, expert, our EV correspondent here on The Green Majority. We speak to you, Matthew, two or three times a year. Does that, whoops, excuse me. Does that sound right? Two to three times a year? Yeah, it sounds about right. Um, Something like that. We try and keep um, it... Thanks for having me again, sir. Approximately quarterly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's great, you know, because we used to take the whole day. Uh, I think this was even actually, maybe just around when Stefan joined us. We used to take the whole day to do go do in the green, uh, like the car show. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And that's a lot of work for basically a lot of people to just give us dirty looks. So um, <laughs> we decided to stop putting all that effort in and going down there to just have people from Ford give us dirty looks and uh, talk to you instead. Ooh. So um, I did. I Happy did tease. To- <laughs> I did tease a little bit earlier just because it was like I've noticed a lot of people sharing it on my social media more so than usually pay attention to Tesla stuff like not just the Tesla people sure. are talking about it so you know I know that we want we're going to talk about sort of what are the updates on the numbers I know you've got new reports out and and I know that we've exchanged a few articles we could talk about but really let's just get the, the headliner out of the way what the heck is going on with Elon Musk yeah so um that is the big question everyone is wondering about in the uh not just the electric car scene, but uh, in the the car, uh, the car, uh, car nerd scene, and even the general media. Um, uh, Elon Musk has, in the past number of weeks, announced a whole bunch of uh, eerily Donald Trump-like Twitter uh, rant, rant, and um, uh, presumably that means he's under some sort of pressure. There are theories that uh, you know maybe his uh, maybe Tesla is not in as great a shape as they'd like. Um, because really, if you're not under stress, 
you probably wouldn't do those things, even if you are a little bit of an eccentric, mm. you know, playboy, billionaire, industrialist fellow. Uh, but um, not being a person with uh, with uh, the financial chops to be able to do the detective work, uh, I could just uh, see from the outside that yeah, I think all everything cannot be all all well in uh, in LA and Fremont there. Because it's not like the first time he's received criticism. Far from it. It's, it's not. It's, he has had a habit uh, historically of pushing back strongly against criticism, and so it was one of these. Punching up, punching down things. You know, if you're a scrappy little startup and uh, you're getting criticized by oil companies or other fossil fuel barons for getting subsidies from the government for, for making green cars, uh, like a zero emission tax credits and so forth. I mean, punching up is always okay. That's the, that's the nature of comedy. But uh, if you don't learn to politely disagree with people, you know, when you're the billionaire and you're criticizing journalists for writing things that you think are unfair or you know, if you're bashing uh, employees who want to form a union, then all of a sudden you're punching down. And uh, I think if there's anything, he he went he went from punching up to punching down, not realizing that at some point he has to be able to politely disagree with people. Yeah, and I mean, you said um, you made a Donald Trump comparison. I was actually going to go with Peter Thiel, who is the uh, who's who is a Donald Trump supporter, but uh, had the Silicon Valley connection. And so, as far as that, he was the guy that that bankrolled Hulk Hogan's. Uh, court case against that paper of Va- uh, I'm blanking on the name. Gawker. Uh, Gawker. 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 Yeah. Thank you. Uh, essentially, just because they they wrote something nasty about him, so he decided to fund someone else's lawsuit to end them. Like well, it just seemed very like. To be fair, Gawker <laughs> did some. Gawker outed him, uh, which yeah, is like yeah, a yeah. reasonable reason to be mad at them. Right. But then he funded yeah. every single lawsuit against them until he destroyed right. them, which is a mildly concerning right. use of power. It's yeah. It's a it's right. it's a bazooka on an anthill, but it's also like to the degree that like most people don't have access to a bazooka. So it's like <laughs> there's a power disparity there, but like so that's that. So I sort of you know agree with that. But let's let's sort of bring this back in. You know, I'm sort of interested in, in what happens. So like we've and pretty much every time we've had you on, we've had some you know one or two nice things and and at least two sort of negative things to say about Elon Musk. So he's definitely a complicated character at the best. Uh, at the uh, best of times. Is, and, and actually, PayPal uh, PayPal uh, Musk combined his x.com with Peter Thiel's paypal.com. Right. And uh, so, so there's actually a, a deep connection between those two figures. But, so maybe, uh, they, I don't know, maybe they yeah. just hang out at the same rich people club. Well, they're both... Uh, maybe, yeah, who knows? Yeah. sex parties, uh, according to some other journalistic uh, uh, reporting that Elon Musk has also bashed. So let's let's bring it. So that's sort of like what's going on. It just seems very silly and weird. If you want to actually read what he was writing, but essentially, I mean, he was talking about, um, you know, I don't like some things people are writing about me, so I'm going to start my new my own Reddit essentially, so that I can curate only things that I like. Like it was is so ridiculously eccentric that there was sort of like a lot of people were like, I think we're like, is he, is he okay? Like this is like crazy even for him. But let's let's bring that in. Let's talk about that, but bring it into your wheelhouse a little bit more, which is that you know one of the things we've talked about repeatedly, Matthew, is is how for better or worse, he's been a bit of a standard bearer for EV vehicles. Do you think in any way that a controversy now, do you think the EV market has matured past Tesla such that, um, say, a big fall down of Tesla or Elon Musk personally or both uh, would have any impact on the market itself? What do you think the role there would be on sales, etc.? Sure. So I think uh, Elon Musk does deserve a lot of credit for uh, for conceiving of electric vehicles as performance cars before he had electric cars. He had a McLaren F1, I think, uh, some fancy race car type thing. Um, now, it should be noted that Nissan, uh, Nissan CEO uh, Carlos Ghosn, uh, had actually had always had the idea of uh, 
introducing the LEAF, the electric car that became the LEAF, uh, irrespective of Musk, although it does seem that uh, Musk pushed a lot of other guys into the field. Uh, the role of the public sector car, uh, California Air Resources Board can't be overstated either. You know, we like to, we like to idolize these, uh, um, these you know, gods of industry. But uh, it's also worth noting that there's some relatively uh, unknown people in the California Air Resources Board, CARB, uh, had set out zero emission vehicle standards even back in the 90s when the, the concern wasn't so much CO2 but smog. Uh, and so they also forced the automakers into considering these vehicles. With all that said, yes, Elon Musk has had a big impact on the industry, certainly the most influential CEO of, uh, of the century, or of, of the new century at least. And uh, for various reasons, uh, all the other automakers are on board now. Uh, whatever happens to Tesla, they will continue moving forward with uh, electric vehicles. Uh, the more, I guess, the, the bigger challenges will be on the consumer side or the optics side. Um, not everyone, you may be, you won't be surprised to learn, not everyone listening to this podcast is surrounded by others in their neighborhoods and lives who, who share their views. And so even if uh, electric vehicles are a superior and less polluting solution, which they are, uh, that's not going to appeal to a lot of people simply because of you know, the way they use their vehicles or what they happen to value. So um, I guess there could be a bit of a backlash, or a little bit more of an uphill for EV advocates uh, if Tesla runs into trouble. But um, it's, it's, uh, the, the ship is turning. However, uh, frustratingly slowly, we, we may feel it is. I, I I don't know if you I don't know if you'd agree or or if it's even worth you commenting on whether you do or not. But it's sort of my sense on that is sort of that it's gonna you know it'll provide an opportunity for rhetoric for the sort of like ideological and political forces that want to sort of like talk down EV and the related climate change issue because they like to tie those things uh, together. Um, but I don't think it will have any impact outside of that. So I think it's gonna give some feed some ammo to the people who write articles for people other people who already agree with them. It'll give them something to write about. But I don't know. I don't I don't think really. He, anyone cares about him as being the driver of the industry because I think as you say I think people are aware that the industry has matured past him and it's not just a it's not an Elon Musk thing anymore it's just a this is the world now thing and I I, I think the damage is non-existent frankly uh, from anyone's opinion on having anything to do with Elon Musk but let's let's take it from that to um, the, the other article which I shared with you this morning which was talking about it's from the Toronto Star uh, it's not talking about anything that you've never talked to us about what I found interesting about that was a I just wanted to know what you thought of their conclusions from your point point of view, because I would expect you have a lot more uh, experience in that topic than the person who wrote that article, I would expect. Um, a, and B, uh, I found it interesting that we're starting to see these types of things in, like more commonly in sort of non-hyper-specific uh, newspapers. So it's not in Green Car Reports, it's not in an environmental newsletter, it's just in a, in a daily article in the Star. So can you comment on either or both of those? Yep, absolutely. So this was, um, let's see, Michael Lewis's uh, article, I think it was titled Automakers Confident in the Electric Future. You can have sales on it there yet. And uh, it was a recent um, symposium or, uh, or conference where a variety of people in the EV sector gave, you know, understandably optimistic views about the sector. Um, it is certainly that uh, combustion is on its way out for passenger vehicles and especially for heavy transport buses, trucks, vans. Um, it is just that these things do take time. And uh, declaring premature victory is probably... Um, as much of a, uh, a threat as any kind of nasty grams <laughs> someone might write to the editor because, uh, you know, finally, gleefully, Elon Musk tripped up. 
because uh, but it, it is a it is a very gradual process. It's not one size fit all. Uh, last month, um, our first mass market uh, plug-in SUV, um, that's the Mitsubishi Outlander, its arrival in Canada was delayed for years because demand was so high elsewhere. So it set a record. It sold just a bit less than 600 vehicles in Canada, and that's terrific. That's a new record for plug-in vehicles. But that's about as many uh, as F, uh, Ford sells of the F-Series trucks in one and a half days. So there's still a little bit of room to grow. A little bit. Um, just a little bit. Uh, so um, I guess one other thing uh, to temper our enthusiasm is that uh, we do have rebates, and rebates don't last forever. The political winds change and so forth. Uh, so a reduction in rebates uh, would understandably cause a bit of a pause. Uh, but that should be overwhelmed by the fact that more and more consumer choices are coming up, right? If you only have a handful of choices, well, of course, sales are going to be a small percentage. Uh, as uh, as uh, choices improve, that grows. You know, a couple of years ago, we were lucky to be at about one half percent market share. Last year was 0.9 percent. So far this year, we're at about one and a half percent. That's because more vehicles have come in, and not everyone's going to buy a specific. You know, not everyone's going to buy a Tesla or a Toyota or a or a Nissan. And that's terrific. Uh, one final thing, which uh, hasn't gotten as much attention, and actually relates to uh, my uh, current uh, day job, I with uh, I'm with Plugin BC, which is a nonprofit. We oversee some uh, British Columbia rebate programs for install- installing EV chargers and multi-unit buildings. Uh, is that in in Canada, perhaps 37, 38 percent of people live in multi-unit buildings? If you have a house, it's totally easy to put a charge in your garage. You don't have to ask permission. You don't have to get buy-ins from your strata or your property owner, all these other factors. Uh, that does become more difficult uh, as you uh, get into multi-unit buildings, apartments, condos. Toronto, I was just looking on the census data. You guys look to be about 50% of the households are in multi-unit buildings, which means for those 50%, it might be a little bit more difficult to convince other people to allow you to put in a charger, to allow you to get an electric car. Uh, and here in Vancouver, uh, the Metro Vancouver is like 60%. So um, there's a lot of angles that we still have to keep, uh, you know, ticking checkboxes on and keep working at. Uh, but uh, I mean, that's part of that's part of doing great things. You know, if it's if it's easy, it's not really much of an achievement when you accomplish it. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> So um, uh, the, the the last thing I kind of wanted to ask you about a little bit, of course, is uh, is just the raw numbers, of course. So you produce these, and I, I should back up. I apologize. I didn't do a great job of introducing you. Just We've, we've talked so often, I forgot. Not everyone would remember that. So yes, uh, the blog, and of course, uh, contribute uh, to uh, – Still, are you still contributing to greencarreports.com? Uh, I am, yes. And if people want to uh, take a look at my open access spreadsheet of Canadian electric car sales, you can go to tinyurl.com url.com forward slash Canada EV sales, as in Canada Electric Vehicle Sales, so Canada EV sales. And that's just my um, sort of public service. Here's what the numbers look like uh, as they arrive every month. And um, it's been great. I've had a bunch of university students uh, ask and uh, request some uh, further details on it, from civil servants even. So it's like, I, I'm actually doing something useful. <laughs> and uh, yeah. 
Well, if you're someone who like me who randomly gets into arguments with people on the street, it's a good uh, one. I've added it to my resource of of like bookmarks on my mobile in case someone like said that's not true, and I can just pull it up and be like, aha, I actually have the numbers. <laughs> right. Well, so there you go. Uh, so the last thing, the last thing was uh, thank you for for, for doing uh, doing that for me. Um, my last thing was just uh, you know we talked a little bit about. I asked you to sort of in a way I guess review the the Toronto Star article. Let's just talk about your actual report. What's new in the latest report? Was there anything that was surprising? Anything? That stands out or is it just sort of steady as she goes uh you know keep going in the same direction but not a lot uh, changing sure um i guess so in so in a few weeks so we'll have the uh the report out with sales for may and uh some of the de- details for april that uh, that the automakers don't release but the big pattern this year is that um we've got the mitsubishi outlander first mass market suv as uh, has come in it's a plug-in hybrid so if you can't charge at home but you only have a 110 let's say that's still good. You know, it's, it's a it's a lower barrier uh, for people to come in. Uh, the Chevy Bolt, as in British Columbia, as distinct from the plug-in hybrid Bolt, as in Vancouver. So the all-electric Bolt uh, has had reported wait lists of over a year now, and uh, that's kind of reflected in the fact that the sales data hasn't been growing as fast as it did uh, towards the end of last year. One hopes that uh, GM can bring in more supply. Uh, but uh, the Prius, um, Toyota didn't really have a, a compelling electric vehicle option, but now there's a Prius Prime, which kind of looks aesthetically perhaps a bit nicer than the regular Prius. Uh, that's, that's been very strong as well. And the second-generation Leaf uh, has, really, has really dominated um, in Europe. Uh, Tesla, for a little while, owned the record in Norway, for example, for the most uh, cars registered, most cars purchased in a month. Um, and uh, Nissan obliterated it by like 50%. They had like 2,300 instead of 1,500 uh, in March, I believe it was. And so the Nissan Leaf is also very, very strong uh, at the moment. It's a very compelling vehicle, um, and uh, perhaps the, the sweet spot that they've managed there is that they've kept the price of the car down under $40,000, and uh, as a result, you don't get quite as much battery, but... You know, if you have a three at the front end of a new car price versus a four, that's, that's kind of enabling for a lot of people. All right. So I guess in summary of the full uh, conversation we had here, uh, Matthew, it's that, uh, uh, you know, Elon Musk might have lost his mind, but don't worry, things are still cranking along as they were. Is that is that fair? <laughs> that's right. I guess uh, <laughs> no, no, Elon Musk is an influential guy, but he can't, uh, he can't. Uh, stop the steamroller of progress. Yeah, and, and I think uh, as, and, as we were saying earlier, his sort of like single-handed influence on the market and 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 optics around uh, this technology, I think, is is becoming limited. Thankfully, right. It's it's like uh, he's at risk of being early Steve Jobs. You know, in comparison to Steve Jobs, early Steve Jobs really had had the vision of the future with the graphical interface the most. Uh, but then Mike, uh, Microsoft, another guy, a boring guy, came in and uh, outcompeted him. There's a risk, you know, even if that happens to Elon Musk, electric vehicles are here. It's the new, I don't know, car user interface, uh, transportation interface. Then, and um, at the same time, we don't want to take our own feet off of the advocacy pedal because it's when you think that everything's going to be easy that suddenly you, you hit speed bumps and hurdles. And so we just have to keep our, uh, you know, keep working shift by shift as they would say in hockey. Well, uh, Matthew, you'll let me know when all cars on the road are driven by computers. Until then, I'm going to stick to public transit. But we thank you for your time anyway. 
Yeah, very welcome. And I use public transit myself. Yeah, very important. We're going to have links to uh, Matthew's uh, EV sales uh, spreadsheets, data articles, uh, the the links to the conversation we were talking about with Elon Musk. I didn't want to read his tweets, but you can read it yourself. Uh, and much more on today's show post. Again, thank you uh, to Matthew Klippenstein uh, for your time, and we'll talk to you again soon. Oh, thank you very much, and uh, happy to do so. Thank you. Take care. All right, so we're back to Stephen. Stephen, what is our second and final music break going to be? All right, we're back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. You're listening to uh, your host, Saren Kester, right now. Stefan and Dave Hostetter in the studio as well. Sadly, we're alone today. We miss Lauren. We had her a couple weeks in a row, but that's okay. You guys are fun too, I guess. Um, We're all right. You're all right. You're just okay. (laughs) Uh, Two quick uh, pieces of business before I hand you back to Stefan and Dave for some more news for our final news section. One is uh, uh, Stefan was right to uh, encourage me to actually source that thing I was referencing because he (laughs) seemed skeptical, which is fair. I like, uh, thank you for that instinct, Stefan. So as a reference to what I was talking about earlier with the bill in North Dakota, this is from, I'm just going to read from CNN. It's a sort of a brief thing really quickly just just so everyone understands what actually happened. So now reading from North Dakota. One, North Dakota's uh, HB 1203 was introduced in February in response to Dakota Access Pipeline protesters who stalled construction by blocking roads the bill in the bill a driver who caused injury or death to someone blocking a roadway while quote exercising reasonable care unquote would not be able to be held liable for any damages it turned from a protest to basically terrorism on the roadways and the bill got introduced for people to be able to drive down the roads without fear of running into somebody or having to be liable for them said state rep keith kempernich who introduced the bill at the time and the bill failed to pass the House 50 to 41, not by that much, uh, in February. So the bill did not pass, but it was still proposed. And that same article, which I'm also happy to post, has examples from a number of other states of similar bills. Uh, so there. Second piece of business, not next Friday. Friday it's Friday after. Was yes. it day? May? Uh, wait, June, June 4th to 10th. So that would, that would make us June 7th? I believe it's 9th. June 9th. I can't do math in my head. <laughs> June 9th, uh, regardless, two shows from today. Yes. We'll be our live, our fundraising show. If you're a podcast listener or you're a, a syndicate listener, you wish to support the show. We do record Friday between 11 and noon. It's 8th. June 8th. Uh, thank Sorry. you, June 8th. Uh, we would love you to call in if you can. You can also go to the website, ciut.fm and donate. You don't even have to wait. You do it right now. You can do it right now. CIUT.FM slash, I think it's donate hyphen now. But anyway, just go to CIUT.FM. You'll find the button. I assure you, you won't miss it. It's like half the page. Yes. Um, and you can do that if they ask you something about, what's your favorite show? Just say the Green Majority. That's great. Get ready. You can do it now if you want. Get it out of the way. Uh, but we, it, we, it always makes us feel really nice when that phone actually rings. So yes. if you're not concerned, if you're going to forget, just do it now. Yes. But if you're confident you won't forget or you're going to be listening anyway, uh, we'd love you to call in rather than email just because then we it, it's tangible for us. It feels awesome. We get to hear from you. We'll be taking turns on the phones. It'll be a fun show. I haven't decided. Maybe we'll get Tim in. Who knows? Something will happen. It'll be good. Something will happen. But that's two Fridays. Not next Friday, Friday after. Yeah. Uh, those are my two announcements. I will now be quiet for the rest of the show. Stefan. Yeah. Uh, so we've got a couple more stories. Uh, Dave, what do we got? Bitcoin. Oh, right. So. Oh, wait. I'm not going to be quiet for the rest of the show. <laughs> Grist is reporting that the blockchain currency Bitcoin's energy footprint has doubled in only six months and will double again by the end of the year, at which point the currency will be consuming as much electricity as the Netherlands. By late 2019, Bitcoin could be consuming more energy than all the world's solar panels are presently producing, and if current trends continue, Bitcoin will consume all the world's electricity in two and a half years. 
The currency's popularity as a speculative investment has skyrocketed in recent years, drastically volatilizing its price, and over the past year and a half it has increased tenfold, fallen 75%, and then doubled again. Anyone can create or mine Bitcoin if they have a computer powerful enough to calculate the transaction, which requires complex equations to guarantee authenticity, security, and confidentiality. This has led to an arms race in computing power, and as things currently stand, just one Bitcoin transaction uses enough energy to power a U.S. household for a month. One government researcher has been caught inappropriately utilizing a National Science Foundation supercomputer to mine Bitcoin. Yeah. So there. So every once in a while we have an episode or a part of the show where we're sure we're going to annoy the internet. Uh, and I think this is that part, everyone. Those um, of you who have not already been annoyed. Yes, exactly. Yes. If you've gone through this far in the show, get ready, but you will have Bitcoin. Is this the annoying part? <laughs> I don't know. We already threw Elon Musk under the bus. Oh, that's though. a good point. If they, that's the, yes. Oof. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, but here's the thing about Bitcoin. Um, like it is, it is a little, um, it is it's a little disingenuous to say that, it, that to say that if it continues at its current pace that it will it will use all the worlds because like it's currently that's like you know that's sort of the similar saying that when you get see a massive increase in in an in exponential increase in say you know electric vehicle sales that in five years it will be half the world right there's a, like there's a level of which the scalability will slow down no matter what uh, however uh, you are basically just using a ton of energy to get things that people say you could use for money later. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as, as with any conversation about Bitcoin, you must separate the concept of Bitcoin or any of the other cryptocurrencies, uh, including things like the, uh, what are they called? There's there's small images of cats that are part of, the, cats, there's like, there's like a, there's a there's Dogecoin, which was just a meme, but is now worth thousands of dollars because of the internet, I, I guess. Don't, I don't know if that's the one you're talking about, but fun fact, it, may, it might actually be that one. It sounds sort of familiar, but it, it's definitely another one, which was that somebody actually started a coin for the purpose of making fun of how stupid it is and it's now in the like top 10 most valuable coins like, yeah it's it's like ludicrously valued crypto kitties that's crypto the one kitties. that is, is the, that one the one where you can mine crypto kitties and get the uh, get pictures of cats uh and waste tons of energy doing so um oh so that's not so no there's an actual other one which was this is so dumb and i think the name of it is like this is really dumb or something like, it's super silly <laughs> yeah. and the intention was look how dumb this is and it's now like one of the top 10 valued cryptocurrencies yeah exactly so like so the the, the underlying technology of blockchain has a host of value and a host of reasons of use, usages and stuff like that um the, the the bitcoin and these other things uh, that are just trying, are, that are just being billed as like the next way to make a ton of money. You're not investing anything, right? You're just literally presuming that at some time, at some point, this new money will become other money. There's not a version of this world in which this money becomes, uh, you know, it still has to have value within our current monetary system, um, and is wasting so much energy. Like if we're going to be using all this energy to do anything, let's use it to actually do the more useful parts of uh, of blockchain. Because even blockchain does is is use the similar types of and usage of uh, of distributed uh, computing power. So you do need those sort of distribution power uh, of computers everywhere to do this sort of work. But like the get, re- get rich quick scheme of investing in a volatile uh, volatile market and just waiting for it to go up and then selling it is, or, or, or actually using your computing power to mine it and hopefully you get the Bitcoin itself um, without having to trade for it. Both of these are are still largely just using a ton of energy in a, in a unnecessarily. And that's it. And, and, and the places they're growing up are places where there's much cheaper energy, which is unfortunately places often where 
uh, electricity is done by by more by more fossil fuel types of energy. So like, why are we doing this? The, the comparison I like to make, I could easily, and by the way, if anyone is listening to this and like runs a cryptocurrency podcast, have me on to debate you. <laughs> it would be so much fun. Uh, but here's basically what's wrong with, with, with uh, like Bitcoin and stuff. Or not what's wrong with it, but my analogy of what's wrong with it, uh, which is that, you know, the whole thing about, you know, we made this amazing world, literally world changing technology called the internet, and it mostly gets used for porn. Um, that's basically how I feel about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, which is blockchain technology is this really amazing technology, which is really going to have a long-term impact. And I don't think we have any, in the same sense that at the beginning of when computers were out, people didn't have any concept of just how world-changing they will be. I predict that blockchain technology could in fact be similar. I think it is a, a really incredible thing that we know so little about its, its applications because it's so early, we don't even know what it can do yet. Uh, great. Uh, using it for Bitcoin is the equivalent of just like putting porn on it. It's using it. It's using this amazing tool for gambling, literally gambling. Well, you know, right now, yeah, and 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 of course, in the pro Bitcoin crowd is going to come out and say, but let's get gets around banks and and get around governments and like there are parts of that that are also good, but also parts of that are saying like, okay, you don't want to pay taxes and and anything else like like let's like if you want to debate all the possibilities of of the of the ways you can it, it can be helpful, you must also v respond to all of the ways it is like, severely damaging and. Until until you can really really find a way to explain to me why this isn't just a way for I don't know rich people to build supercomputers, make money, and then trade it without any, getting, getting taxed on it at all, uh, I will I like I'm not I'm not going to engage in this conversation as if it's as if this is the world changing technology uh, of, of of specific of it being currency specifically because um, right now it's a speculative market and you're just throwing right. things into these things. Or another way to say that is a solution isn't a solution if the solution creates a much bigger problem. Yeah. <laughs> which is great. We went around the banks to add the bad, the world's burning and there are no banks because the world's on fire because you gamified energy consumption during an energy crisis. You morons. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Did I stutter? <laughs> yeah. Send an email to uh, <laughs> the green majority at gmail. By all means, at least goes to you. I would love to. Yes. No, I gave my personal email, not the show email. <laughs> Just come at me. If you've got, if you want to talk about cryptocurrency, I will tear you to shreds. All uh, right. Next topic. Uh, all right. What else do I have? So the first comprehensive analysis of biomass distributions on Earth has recently come out, showing that human beings, who comprise 0.01% of all life on Earth, have eliminated 83% of wild land mammals, 80% of marine mammals, and half of all wild plants. 60% of all mammals currently on Earth are livestock, 36% are humans, and 4% are wild animals. 70% of all birds on Earth are chickens and other poultry. Humans remain very small in terms of weight, outweighed respectively by viruses, worms, fish, bugs, fungi, bacteria, and plants. Plants account for 82% of all planetary biomass, mostly in the form of wood. Ron Milo, the leader of the study, said, quote, When I do a puzzle with my daughters, there is usually an elephant next to a giraffe next to a rhino. But if I was trying to give them a more realistic sense of the world, it would be a cow next to a cow next to a cow and then a chicken. That's a really good line. <laughs> um, and so, 
So th- this is really just a story of like this is the impact we're currently having on the earth. Like this is this is what we're doing, you know. And and this is why you know redu- when I previously mentioned reducing at the very beginning, I, I didn't want to be so flippant about about reducing your meat consumption because it's obviously very important. And in part because you know sixty percent of of cam- of mammals are currently livestock. Uh, so all mammals are currently livestock, and and so cows are a truly truly big problem. You know, and, and so and so we have to actually address this fact that we are just fundamentally changing the types of things, the types of organisms on this earth, uh, which is also sort of why I don't have time to debate you about whether or not your cryptocurrency is a great idea, uh, because, you know, we're <laughs> killing everything. Um, I do. Let's just do it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm out. You send, can, your, send your email to Sarah. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but but these like every once in a while we come to buy one of these stories, which is just sort of these kinds of things. We're just like. This is bad, and it's very bad, and we need to realize how bad it is. And that's that's the whole story. It's like we we desperately need to change our the way we're doing things. And a big way, at least in this particular issue, is avoiding things that uh, that are that have a lot of pesticides because it's destroying the insects population, and, and eating less meat. So maybe some of that pa- land that's being eaten up by cows can go back to some wild animals. You do those two things. Uh, also save the bees. And at least we're doing a little bit better. Uh, we got we, we do have one more story you want to get to with NASA before we go to the to before the show. So what's on NASA? So the newly confirmed NASA administrator Jim Bridenstine has broken from the Republican Party as well as his own previous statements, admitting that human beings are causing climate change. Bridenstine wanted wanted Obama to apologize in 2013 for funding climate research, and previously claimed that global temperatures stopped rising in the early 2000s. Bridenstine has now stated, quote, I don't deny the consensus that the climate is changing. In fact, I fully believe and know that the climate is changing. I also know that we, human beings, are contributing to it in a major way. Man, we gave him such a hard time when he was nominated. I feel like I feel like I have to mindedly be like, well, that's much better. This is, this is, it is, I know, I, I know we live in a world in which asking for the head of NASA to accept basic science should, is, is actually a surprise, uh, which is a sad state of the world, but this is good. I can actually take a, a wild swing at what happened. All right. Go they, for it. The sooner, first day he showed up at work, they put him in one of those like uh, space flight testing center fusions and you're not getting off until you stop it with his nonsense. <laughs> and they spun him for like 30 minutes. He's like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Uncle, I'm out. Yeah. Did, did he, did, was he looking tipsy when he said this? Did he, did he fall over afterwards? <laughs> a little nauseous. Kind yeah, of a little nauseous. On exactly. his feet a little bit. Um, yeah. So again, this is, this is, uh, I guess this is good. You know, the fact that this is broken from the Republican Party, and you know, really just show highlights how ridiculous it is that an entire party can still deny climate change, um, and yet you know you have a PC candidate here in Ontario denying climate change right now. So it's not like we're any better uh, or or anything. Uh, maybe maybe they just sent him to live with a cow, a cow, a cow, and a chicken, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe after a little while he was like, huh, where are the rest of the animals? And then they were like, we killed them. Uh, <laughs> That's that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, we're right up to the show. So finish right. off. So we're done. That's it. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks so much for your support today, uh, Dave and Stefan. Thank you very much to our guest, Matthew Klippenstein. Of course, you can find all the links to everything we talked about today uh, on the show post later today. Hopefully, uh, you'll find that at greenmajority.ca. You can sign up for the podcast there. Um, uh, and uh, uh, again, reminder: two weeks, not next week. The week after will be our fundraising show, and uh, starting to work on maybe actually getting some bonus show stuff back in. No dates. Just working on it. Other than that, check out the website. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good green week and take care.